Hi, welcome to San Francisco Ballet's Meet the Artist. My name is Tiet Helimetz, and I am a principal dancer at San Francisco Ballet. This podcast series of Meet the Artist interviews is your chance to get to know us, the dancers, musicians, designers, and choreographers at SF Ballet, as we discuss our lives, the process in a studio, performances on stage, and more. Join us for Meet the Artist interviews, live and in person, at the Opera House before Friday and Sunday performances. Or tune in, all season long to hear podcast recordings of San Francisco Ballet's Meet the Artist interviews. Enjoy. Hi, good afternoon. Hello, everyone. Welcome to San Francisco Ballet's final performance of the 2023 season and today's Meet the Artist interview. My name is Jasmine Yepwin. I'm the Associate Director of Education here at San Francisco Ballet, and I'm thrilled to be joined by today's Meet the Artist guest, San Francisco Ballet soloist, Katherine Barkman. Thank you so much for joining us oh, today. Thank you. I'm very excited. I know that you can all hear that there is activity happening behind the stage. That's not an echo of applause from all of you. Um, so thank you for your patience today. We are starting a little late because it's the last performance of the season, which means it's the last company class of the season on stage. And there's a lot of wonderful, special, and unique feelings backstage right now. Um, as we say farewell to some of our wonderful, wonderful artists on stage. So I want to take a moment right now to acknowledge all of those behind me um, and around me who have really made this 2023 season possible. Of course, our incredible dancers, the amazing orchestra, all of our crew, front of house, volunteers, our choreographers, composers, creative teams, the students in the San Francisco Ballet School who scatter around as butterflies and everything in Nutcracker um, are incredible rehearsal directors who put so many countless hours um, in, in the studio and on stage and as character dancers. Um, so everyone around us who has really made this season possible, and all of you, because we found out during the pandemic, nothing compares to dancing in front of a live audience. So if you can join me in acknowledging and thanking and applauding all of our wonderful um, members who make this possible. It's been a big year here at San Francisco Ballet. It was Catherine's first year here. You joined in July 2022. Um, we welcomed a new artistic director, Tamara Rojo, in December. Um, we had a Next at 90 festival with nine new works. Um, and here we are with Romeo and Juliet. Uh, this production premiered in 1994. It's choreographed by Helgi Thomason to Prokofiev's celebrated score. And it's been seen by over 200,000 audience members across the globe, um, in movie theaters, um, and here on the Opera House stage. Uh, it's fitting that we close the season with this, because in 2020, it was supposed to close the season. Nothing happened in 2020. Nothing, right? And so it's really nice that we get to close today's season with it. Um, but let's get to know Catherine, because a lot of our audience members haven't had a chance to meet you. You joined the company, and here we are at the end. We, we squeezed you in right in time. Um, you were born in Philadelphia? Yes, I was born in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, about 45 minutes out of Philadelphia, um, and started pretty late with ballet. I started training at about 14, 
Um, I did not come from a big school. <laughs> I came from kind of the middle of nowhere <laughs> and uh, worked with a, a teacher there. And uh, yeah, that's how I started. <laughs> Is there a moment at 14, right? I heard a lot of wows, right? Um, at 14, you started your ballet journey. What, what was a moment where you said, this is, this is for me. I want to be a professional ballet dancer. Well, it was, it was kind of a weird path because when I was three, I told my parents I was going to be a ballerina. And my mom being a school teacher and my dad being in business, everyone was kind of like, okay, yeah, that's a, that's a great idea. Um, but we didn't have any idea how that was going to be possible, if that was going to be possible. So at 14, I met this wonderful Russian coach near my house. And she told me I danced like a monkey. But she said, we can fix whatever's going on here. And so that was my moment that I was like, oh, maybe you know, there's something here for me. Jokes aside, um, I think I was at that moment, I became exposed to the idea that this wasn't necessarily just a means to go to higher education, go to college. It wasn't recreational anymore. It was something that was going to allow me to have a very different life from the life I was being shown and presented every day. You know, it was, it was a life of travel and seeing the world and performing in stages that I had only seen pictures of on Google, right? And now this was becoming accessible because someone planted a dream in front of me and said, actually, you, you have a shot at this, but it's gonna be hard and you do dance like a monkey, <laughs> but we can make it happen if you commit. And, uh, I was always one for a challenge. It was kind of like, tell me I can't do something, and then I'm for sure going to do it. <laughs> so that was, you know, maybe not the best motivation, <laughs> but it did work. Um, so. Well, uh, I'm so glad that you were able to really focus that energy and find your way here to San Francisco Ballet. Um, there is a choreographer that you worked with um, over the summer when you first joined, Robert Garland, who was one of the next at 90 choreographers um, and is now the artistic director of the Dance Theater of Harlem. Um, and he did not describe your dancing as dancing like a monkey. He actually described you uh, during one of the points of view interviews when he was talking about the creation process of his new work, Hofner Serenade. Um, when talking about you and Esteban Hernandez and working with you, he said that you are two of the, quote, most brilliantly musical dancers that he has ever encountered. That's very nice to hear. I don't know if you heard that before. It's in there. It's, it's online. Very sweet. Um, and so this month, you had an opportunity to perform Robert Garland's Hofner Serenade um, with principal dancer Esteban Hernandez at the Dance Theater of Harlem's Vision Gala just last week, a week yes. and a half ago. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about the process and, um, and that experience? Yeah, that was a wonderful way to kind of end the season. Um, I got to go to New York for the Dance Theater of Harlem Vision Gala. It was to celebrate the legacy of the wonderful Virginia Johnson and her leadership with the company. Um, Robert had made this ballet on us, on Esteban and I, 
And that process was very, it, it's very rare that the process of creating something is just as fulfilling as like the execution of it. And that was one where I really felt that the process had given me so much as an artist, learning from Robert, pushing me to discover things about myself that I didn't know existed. Um, and it's nice when you have a choreographer in the front of the room who forces you completely out of your comfort zone. That's when you know that you're growing and developing and you're not doing things the same way that you've always done them. Robert did that for me. So getting to go to New York City and dance an excerpt of this ballet with Esteban, um, it was a very uplifting experience. It was, uh, I also got to have my family in the audience, which was always a big, uh, big plus. So. It was a, a really beautiful night getting to celebrate uh, another company and getting to share the stage with those beautiful artists as well. I think it's about the people who you get to dance with that makes it really important. You know, there's a lot of dance that happens, but the connections that you make with choreographers, with other artists, with the audience, that's why we're all here, you know, is right, is to connect and to share who we are. We do this in a very vulnerable way um, on stage. It's pretty visible. <laughs> but it's nice to be able to connect with different organizations. And that was a very nice experience. You talked about connecting with other dancers and audiences. Um, our San Francisco ballet audiences, the first time they got to see you was about half a year ago on this stage um, in Nutcracker, something that we have a newfound appreciation for after a pandemic. Um, any memories that you would be open to sharing with us about your first Nutcracker with San Francisco Ballet? Well, I can honestly say I had never been more nervous in my whole life for anything because I had done, I was doing the Grand Pas, and I don't know, you probably know that the ballerina comes out of the the box, right, the time machine box, and the little Clara goes in, and you come out, and so I'm just standing in this box, like, shaking and sweating, and <laughs> so nervous, and the little Clara comes in, and they shut the door, and she's on the other side of the mirror, and she goes, good luck. <laughs> I almost jumped out of the box. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> now I'm really nervous. No, it was, very, it was a very sweet moment, but I remember the doors just opened, and then there was like a big spotlight, and I just felt very disoriented. <laughs> and I had about, you know, 15 minutes of very difficult choreography ahead to execute. And so then I took a deep breath, and I was like, you're not going to dance like a monkey today. <laughs> you are going to just take this in. <laughs> And I think that's what I did, is all my fear, as soon as the doors opened, I was just like, I'm here. And this is a totally new place, and totally new people, and everything's new, and I feel new. And that's so exciting, and like, I don't know why that has to make me nervous. That should just be exciting, because we get to experience something new all together, <laughs> and it's an old favorite, you know? So that's what I embraced in that, um, in that grandpa in my first first show was just complete gratitude and excitement and generosity of spirit the generosity i was feeling from the audience and the generosity i had taken you know by getting my fear out of the way i had suddenly opened within myself and good luck <laughs> 
yes, I need it. <laughs> and open the doors. And open the doors. <laughs> exactly. I love that, that this little voice on the other side of, you know, the, the it was like magic my box. inner child, <laughs> you know, telling me, good luck. Um, you are so generous with your time when you talk with young dancers, and um, you've been very open um, about an injury this season. The big word, injury. <laughs> I feel like I'm at a press conference and Steph Curry and Steve Kerr talking about, like, at the highest level, injuries. Um, so what advice do you have for young dancers who might be struggling both physically and emotionally or mentally with with injuries. Yeah, so little backstory here. <laughs> About three days before the opening gala, I slipped down the stairs and I broke my metatarsal, which is not what you want to break as a dancer. <laughs> it's like a little bone in your foot. Um, and that was very traumatic. It was my first injury. I'd never gone out. I'd never been injured. I'd never had to experience that experience. And all of a sudden, I, three days before when I was supposed to do Robert Garland's ballet, um, I was suddenly in a boot and t completely incapacitated. So in that moment, everything felt like it was falling apart. It was like I'd spent six months just working and, and immersing myself into this new company and I was so excited and there was so much ahead you know it felt like the whole road was ahead and then all of a sudden everything just stopped um, and went on without me right and that's kind of the hardest part as a dancer is that you have to be taken aside and heal and you you're on the road with everybody and then you need to take a detour so my advice to young dancers is one it's always gonna feel like a bad time. Three days before the opening gala is a bad time. It's <laughs> a get really injured. bad time. It's <laughs> a really bad time. Um, but there's never gonna be a good time. You're always gonna have to miss something. And I think it's being okay with having to take care of yourself and having to deal with whatever life is putting in front of you. There's so little control over our careers. The one thing we do have a decision about is what we do when things don't go our way. And that's ultimately what's going to get us back on the road to where we want to go, is what do you have, how, how do you handle this detour? Do you freak out? You know, you can freak out a little bit. I freaked out for a little bit. And then I decided, well, you know, I have two options. I can either heal and heal well and heal my mind and my spirit and my body, or I can just continue to be upset. So that was really it. There was, there was no choice. Um, so that's my first piece of advice. Know that there's no good time. Second piece of advice is be okay with working quietly. When you're on stage, everything's very public. You have a lot of validation. You have a lot of applause. You have a lot of... Um, you know, output and fulfillment. And when you're injured, there's a lot of quiet, committed work that has to happen when nobody's looking at you. And that has to be for you. It's a recommitment to your path, your journey, and what you love. Mm -hmm. 
you know, so there, there were two months where it was just me and the Pilates room. <laughs> it was just me and my yoga ball, you know, and me and my TheraBand, and that, that was okay. That was a quiet time for me to recommit myself to what I love doing. And then being able to go to the Dance Theater of Harlem Gala and perform the piece that I missed, that made those days in the Pilates room worth it because nobody was looking, but I still had the same joy for my art form in those quiet little moments that were not public. It's important that your art is, is intimate with yourself. You know, you have to have a relationship with your art form that sometimes you don't have validation or external um, energy pushing you forward. It's an, inner commitment to being able to positively affect people when you're on stage. You're not always going to be on stage. So what do you do when you're not there? Who are you when you're not dancing? That's so important to learn. And this time, while I had wished you know, that this season went a little differently, maybe it, it taught me things that I needed to, to learn. And now I can go into next season with all of these new lessons, right? Yes, absolutely beautiful. So well said. And um, I hope young dancers really hear that because it's so important. Um, I want to make sure we have time to talk about what they're going to see. And I'm looking around, and I know that a lot of you have already seen this production. So that's great because we didn't have a lot of time to talk about Romeo and Juliet. Um, but this production, Helgi Thomason's Romeo and Juliet, you have not performed this production before, but she has performed Juliet before um, with Ballet Manila. When you were 18, you were Juliet. Uh, so tell us a little bit um, about what what it's like, what are the challenges, what do you love about translating Shakespeare's work um, into the work on stage as Juliet. Yes, so that was my first full-length ballet. I was 18. I had moved to the Philippines and joined a company there as a principal dancer. Um, and that was my first, you know, big role was Juliet. Uh, I also had the privilege to understudy Juliet here, which was wonderful just to be in the room and learn uh, Helgi's version. Um, what I can say with Trans translating or transferring the Shakespeare text onto stage is that it's actually all in the music. And I think that's what Helgi's version, it, it does such a good job of embodying, is that you can almost hear the dialogue in the musical score. And his choreography so complements that. Um, that back and forth, you know, you hear the, the bedroom, pas de deux, and, and the text of Shakespeare is going, oh, it's the lark, no, it's the nightingale, and Juliet and Romeo are, are basically fighting over <laughs> whether it's, it's time for him to leave because it's the lark and it's morning, and she's saying, no, it's the nightingale, you have to stay. And you can hear that back and forth in the music, and you, can he you see the push and pull choreographically. Um, that's a beautiful thing to be able to see. It is hard as an artist to take 
the text and completely translate it, you know, and make everything visible. I think one thing for me personally when I danced Juliet was we had to remember that in that time, Juliet was kind of a rebel, right? Is that she was a, a feminist in a lot of ways back then because she was one of the first things she said, she's like, why, why do I have to get married? She doesn't, you know, she didn't get it. She was about love and, and life and joy and exuberance and you see that life and what makes it so tragic what it, was that it wasn't love that killed her, it was the hate of the families. You know, it was the hate between the families that led to the demise of these two innocent children. They were teenagers, they were kids. Um, and I think it's not always the light at the beginning of the ballet and the life and the love that these two children had for each other. And you watch that get crushed by society basically that's that's was my always, always my take when i did juliet was that you have to show the joy of of her personality and her slightly rebellious nature and then you feel the loss and the desperation that she had no you know other options really you just shared that you were learning and in the studio as an understudy for this. Um, so thank you for sharing that, because then I can ask you, um, what are some of the things that you think our audience should really look for uh, that they might not otherwise have caught because of the coaching or the rehearsal process that you've experienced? Well, there's this, well, this is very random. It has nothing to do with Juliet. But there's this moment in the ballroom that I find is just absolutely hilarious. It's when you see Benvolio, Mercutio, and Romeo. They're on this side of the stage. And Juliet gets swept back into the group dances. And Romeo's like not having it because he wants to dance with her. And Benvolio and Mercutio kick a guy out of the ballroom to fit him back in. And I just find that that's so like young and juvenile and like it's just so sweet. So there's little moments like that that are so interesting. When it comes to um, Romeo and Juliet themselves is that I think something to look for is the contrast in movement specifically between the balcony pas de deux and the bedroom pas de deux. Just, it's something that the audience can make their own decision about, which I love. It's not like everybody's gonna do it differently. So to see the, in the balcony part of the, they're, they're running back and forth. They're covering a lot of space. There's youth like just bubbling through everybody's veins in that, in that moment. And then the bedroom is more grounded. You know, it's, it's more into the earth, it's more, about them together. So that's an interesting thing to, to kind of decide as an audience to have your own opinion about. But I always found that interesting, being in the room and hearing how slight differences in how Juliet walks or runs, you know, in the way she turns her head, which way she's looking. That's what's going to ultimately tell the audience how she's feeling. It's not just facial expressions or gestures. It's body language. So being aware as an audience of like, oh, okay, you know, how is that making me feel? That's what it's about. 
that's that's what this all is all about. <laughs> I'm I'm so sorry, everyone. We um, because we got a late start. We are we are running out of time. We are about to run out of time. So um, I'm I'm going to offer up that we are not going to be able to take any questions from the audience today. So I, I hope that we have enough time um, to cover one more thing, and that is next season. Um, because it is just announced, um, Artistic Director Tamara Rojo has a lovely video online that shares our season um, from new works, thrilling new works, um, classics that are new to San Francisco ballet, uh, and fan favorites, and um, the return of some of our Next at 90 programming. Um, uh, what are you excited about next season? Oh my gosh. <laughs> What's Everything. not to be excited? I, I was actually thinking about that. I'm like, what am I most excited for? I'm excited for everything. Like, there is not one program that I'm not <laughs> totally jumping out of my skin over. It's, it's going to be such a diverse season of repertoire like no one program is going to look like the other that's what's going to be really cool and as an artist for me that's very exciting because it challenges a full spectrum of abilities and movement and thought and processes you know you can't approach a new work uh, the same way you approach a classic. And you can't approach a new classic you've never touched the same way you've approached a classic you've done before. So I think it goes back to my initial, like one of the initial things that I had said, which was newness and being excited about not knowing and not having all the answers and, and just kind of experimenting and experimenting with the audience too together about like, well, What's, what are we going to like the best? <laughs> I think we're going to like all of it, but <laughs> it'll be really exciting. It's just going to be very exciting and very fresh and new for everybody. New for me, too. And for me. I'm so excited to have the opportunity that all of us will get to see you on stage next season. Um, you talked about the arts connecting and... I really agree, I wanna echo that. Um, at its very best, the arts ballet connects us. It connects us to the incredible dancers on stage, the stories that are unfolding, um, the music that you talked about, it connects us to the experience, the art form, um, and each other. So I hope today's conversation with soloist Catherine Barkman really helped our audiences connect to you as an artist and the art that you bring to the space on stage. Um, we are out of time, so I want to thank you so much, thank ladies you. and gentlemen, Catherine Barkman, soloist of San Francisco Ballet. Congratulations on a season. I know we got to see you a little bit in Cinderella as well. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for today's Meet the Artist interview. I look forward to seeing you next season, and enjoy today's closing performance of Helgi Thomason's Romeo and Juliet. Bye. Thank you for listening to San Francisco Ballet's Meet the Artist. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. To learn more about SF Ballet or to attend in-person Meet the Artist interviews and performances, visit sfballet.org. See you at the ballet.